Well, Happy New Year to you. Happy 2019. It's good to, good to be back with you all. Uh, I just got back from Florida a couple days ago, uh, and I brought the warm weather back with me. You're welcome. And uh, yeah, we had a really great time. Got to see my family, my brother, my nephew. And uh, I always enjoy talking to my, my older brother. Uh, he's a very interesting guy. And he's very interested in space, actually. He's very interested in the, in the universe and planets and stars and kind of how big it is, how vast it is. He just finds it fascinating. And he and, and begins to wonder about this big universe that, that we live in. And, and he asks questions of, you know, why, why of, of all the planets that we know, why is, why is this the only one that has life on it that we know of? Why, why, why are we here and, and, and nothing else? Is, is there other life out there? Or was this some kind of random chance that this happened? Or is there some type of powerful being that brought this into reality? And he begins to wonder and to explore and to discover. And I think that's a good picture of what we're going to be doing over the next two months with our Explore God series. We're exploring some of these questions of, of why are we here? Why do we exist? Why is there life here? Why is there something rather than nothing? And so we want to explore all of these questions and some of the hardest questions that people ask about the Christian faith. And we want to give you the opportunity to think through it, to discuss it. We're going to be exploring it together. Um, and the passages that we read this morning, uh, basically it said that God had, had set up the world so that people might reach out to him and find him. And, then, and Paul says God is close to each one of us. And so no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, I believe that God is close to you, that he's been drawing you, and that he is drawing you to reach out to him, to discover and to explore who you are and why we are here. You know, some of you, you may be, uh, you may be here and you may be uh, unsure about God. You may have questions. You may have hang-ups. You may have things that have held you back uh, from exploring God further. And I just want to say you're welcome here. You're welcome here because this is a, a place to explore God, to ask your questions, to express your doubts. And this is, I think, I trust that this series is going to be helpful to you as you explore more about some of these questions and about God. Now, many of you here, you've, you've been a Christian for a long time. You've, you, you, you've explored God and you, you've said yes to God, you've said yes to Christ, and you've, you've kind of come to terms with that. And I also think this series is going to be helpful to you as well. Because you may have had questions that you've never felt permission to ask before because it felt maybe like you were expressing too much doubt, or you've never felt the freedom to ask some of these things. Over the next two months, we want to give you the freedom to ask all the hard questions that you have. And even if you don't, maybe your faith is really strong and you don't have a lot of questions, that's okay. You're still going to learn a lot more. And you also are going to be equipped to help your friends and family who might have some of these questions in their own lives. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next two months. We're joining with churches all throughout Chicagoland. There's like 800 churches that are doing this. And we're exploring God together. So I'm very excited about this. Uh, and today, uh, we're beginning with uh, more of an easier one, but the question of, uh, does life have a purpose? Is there a purpose to life? Why are we here? Now, it can be a little troubling to think about this because you can, some people begin to wonder, you know, is there any purpose at all? Is there any point to this thing that we call life? Uh, and some people are totally fine with that. Uh, actually, there's one uh, scientist, physicist, physicist, Lawrence Krauss, we said life is just, it's just a, co a cosmic accident. You know, the whole story of the, you know, the molecules being together and lightning coming and then life evolving out of that. You became a tadpole and a fish and, and now here we are. It was just an accident. It was just random and there's no point to life. And that's okay with some people. Uh, but er Ernest Hemingway, he wrote, life is just a dirty trick. A short journey from nothingness to nothingness. You see, Hemingway points out to us 
Life is just a short journey. And sometimes it can feel like you're just journeying from, from nothing to nothing. And, and exactly how you end is exactly how you started. And really, we live and then we die. And what, what was the point of all that? You know, and the reality is the person who works really hard, who tries to achieve, who tries to make the most out of their life, they end up meeting the same fate as the, the person who wasted their life watching TV. You know, they come to the same end. So what was the point of all that if we all meet the same fate? What point can there be to this life? You see, without a purpose for our lives, life can begin to feel quite meaningless, quite pointless. And I think we recognize that there's something wrong with that. Because we're, we're meant to have lives that have purpose, that have meaning, that have direction. We're meant to know that, yes, there is a point to it all. And I believe how you view your purpose in life affects everything that you do. It affects your entire life. It affects how you answer some of the most important questions of life. Such as, who do I spend time with? Where should I work? What should I be doing with my life? How should I spend my time? How should I spend my money? What kind of work should I do? What can I give my life to? Who am I and what is my place in this world? Thankfully, our creator does not leave us to guess our, our purpose. We're going to turn to the Bible today to talk about some of the things the Bible reveals as the purpose for humanity. And let me just give a little uh, a reason for why we turn to the Bible. Suppose that a, a primitive tribe stumbled across an iPhone in the woods. Yet, would they know what to do with this? They, they might think that, you know, maybe this is a nice a trinket to be sold. They might think that uh, maybe it's an idol to be worshipped. Or they might think that it's just a, a piece of trash. They, might not, they wouldn't really know what to do with this. The only way that they would know is if next to the phone that they found some type of manual, some type of operator's manual from Apple. Steve Jobs wrote it. And it tells them, why is this phone here? Why is this here? And what is its purpose? And how do you use it? And Christians believe that the Bible is God's operating manual for life. That we, we have stumbled onto existence, here we are, and now there's a manual to tell you why you're here, what your purpose is, and how you should live. So we're going to be turning to the Bible all throughout this series because we believe God has revealed himself through it. Um, and today we're going to be looking at uh, four purposes from the Bible for our life. Now I have to give a disclaimer. Uh, when I first became a Christian, uh, first committed my life to Jesus at the age of 13, First Covenant Church in Grand Rapids, uh, very, very shortly after that, our church uh, did a church-wide sermon series on the purpose-driven life. Our pastor, Craig Swanson, had, had, had prepared all this and got us in small groups and he even had the teenagers involved, apparently. And so I read, I read this book at a very young age, and Rick Warren, he is, he is the expert on purpose. And he outlines all the things in the Bible that talk about our purpose. And that changed my life forever. Because at a young age, I knew who I was and what I was supposed to be doing. And even for some of you students who are here listening, I hope that you will capture the purpose for your life as well, just like I did when I was 13. Because God has a purpose for each and every one of us. So let's talk about what that is. The first purpose that we get from the Bible is God made you for magnificent love. God made you for magnificent love. Look what 1 John 4 verses 8 through 9 says. It says this. God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Brothers and sisters, God loves you. He made you. He created you. You are the object of his love and affection. You know, God, the, the Bible describes God as the most loving being that you could imagine. He's, he's so loving, in fact, it just, it just overflows that it has to be poured out on someone else. 
And I believe that is why God created the world. He's so loving, it just overflows into creating new beings to love. The world, therefore, is not an accident. Not a bunch of molecules just coming together randomly. And so that means you are not an accident. Your life is not an accident. You are here on purpose because God made you and God loves you. Look what Psalm 139.13 says. says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God made you. God knows you and God loves you. You are here on purpose. And the world will tell you you're just a number. You're just one of 7.7 billion people taking up space uh, and that you're just here by chance. But God tells us, no, you're not an accident. You're here on purpose. He thought you up. He dreamed you up. He set his, effect, his affection, his desire, his passion upon you, his focus upon you, and he won't ever stop loving you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to change it. And that's good news. We are the object of God's magnificent love. You know, uh, my daughter Daisy, who's a year and a half, she's a toddler, and uh, love her, obviously, uh, love her more than, more than like anybody else. And, uh, but she's not, she's not a very snuggly toddler. I don't think most toddlers are very snuggly. They're, try, they're off walking about. They're trying to climb on things. And so it's very rare that I get the opportunity to kind of, kind of give my daughter a, a nice snuggle. And uh, we were uh, in Florida, and, and just she was tired enough where I finally got the chance where she leaned her head in and just rested in my arms. And I was just so thankful for that moment of, oh, finally, I get to hold my daughter. Friends, that is how our Heavenly Father feels about you. You may be off busy doing whatever you do, your work, your life, or watching TV, but when you take that moment to finally connect with God, it's like your Heavenly Father is saying, ah, finally, finally, I get to hold my son or daughter. You are the object of magnificent love. Your Heavenly Father wants to hold you in His arms. He wants to take care of you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to be with you forever. Your life, then, is an opportunity to respond to this love. That's what we're made for. We're here to respond to God's love. We're made to be loved by him, loved by him and to enjoy him forever. Uh, Jesus himself was once asked, you know, what's the, what's the greatest commandment that God expects from us? And like a good father, he simply wants you to love him back. This is what he said. He said, he said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So basically, if we want to be, if we want to be very simple, all the purpose of life boils down to this. Being loved by God, loving him back, and loving other people. That's what Jesus boils it down to. We're made for magnificent love, to be loved by God and to love him back and love others. That is our purpose. And this gives us our identity, who we are, who we're made to be. But, you know, it doesn't answer all the questions of, well, how then should we live and what should we do? So we need, we need a few more purposes as well. So God made us for magnificent love. But secondly, God formed you for his family. God formed you for his family. The eternal purpose of God is to bring you into his family. You know, we're not meant to live life alone. The Bible tells a story about God creating the first man. He calls him Adam. Uh, and uh, he had everything. He was in the garden. It was perfect. Uh, there were lots of animals. There was lots of fruit to eat, lots of good things to eat. God gave him uh, meaningful work to do. And Adam, he even had the very presence of God. 
The presence of God, unhindered by sin and brokenness. You would think that would be enough, right? But something was missing. Something was wrong. Look what God said. He said, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. The Bible is telling us, God is telling us that our purpose cannot be found by ourselves. You cannot live your purpose by yourself. It's not found in individual pursuits. It's meant to be found in the family God is forming. You know, it's a, it's a few days uh, after New Year's. Uh, I think some of you guys got to go to the open house of the Austins. Heard it was a pretty good time. And, uh, but I think after, after New Year's, a lot of people are thinking about goals and resolutions and about your life and how you want to improve it. And I'm a goal setter. I love setting goals and trying to think about how I can do better in 2019 and various areas of my life. Um, but I, was, I came across something, and it, and it basically was saying, have, have you ever noticed how uh, most resolutions, most goals in our culture are almost all about an individual pursuit? You know, I want to lose X amount of pounds. Or I want to get this degree, or I want to achieve this in my job, or I want to uh, pay off this type of debt, or I, I want this, or I want that. It's all about our individual goals. Most Americans don't think about, don't, don't spend any time thinking about relationship goals, if you want to put it that way. They don't think about how some of the most meaningful stuff of life is actually who you invest in, who you are journeying with. We don't think about communal pursuits. And friends, this is a recipe for unhappiness because we are not created to live alone. Loneliness is devastating to the soul. This is an area where science agrees with God. You know, you look at any counseling or or, or science, it'll tell you loneliness is not good. It's not good for you. We are meant to live uh, with others. We're meant to journey with him. And specifically, we are formed to be in God's family. Look what Romans 8, chapter 14 through uh, 15 says. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. See, when you give your life to God, he gives his life to you through his Holy Spirit. And he adopts you into his family. And now we get to call him Abba or Dad or Father God. That's what we get to call him. What a privilege that is. And because of that, that makes all those who are in Christ brothers and sisters with one another. We become immediately part of the family of God. That is the gift of God to us that we get to be in family with God's family. You know, and I I believe uh, this church, Faith Covenant Church, this is uh, one of the greatest churches in the world, I think, uh, because this church knows how to be family. Uh, You know, this this hasn't been uh, easy for me to talk about. Uh, but last September, uh, we lost our daughter, Jessie. Uh, she was stillborn at 27 weeks. And the pain, the pain and grief of that time was so immense. And I feel, and I didn't know how to talk to you guys about it. I didn't know what to say. And I was fearful of you when I would bring it up that if I would just almost start to cry like I am now. Because it was, it was that painful. But what you guys did for Laura and I, you surrounded us, you called us, you wrote notes, you came to the hospital, you made sure we took time off, you brought meals, you collected funds for our expenses, you did above and beyond what we needed. And some of you, you're still reaching out to us, checking in, how you doing? Is there, is there a phone call or a text? Can we be praying for you? And I just want to say we appreciate that so much because you have been family to us. You have been family to us in one of the most painful things 
we've ever experienced in our lives. And I can't help but think, we're all meant to live like that. We're all meant to be a part of family of God that takes care of us, that journeys through life with us. And friends, not just through the hard times. We don't just need to show up in each other's lives when things are hard. We just, this is just a way of life that we need to be together, to be part of the family of God that God is forming in us, specifically here at Faith Covenant. And, sorry, I had to get my notes here. <laughs> you know, Jesus emphasized this to us over and over again. He kept saying, love one another. We're formed by God to be in his family. I love how Bob Goff puts this. He says, God intended us to travel through life as a community. Think bus, not unicycle. I like that. I like that. Because I think a lot of us, we think unicycle. We think journeying through life is unicycle. But no, the church is meant to be God's party bus. Where we're journeying through life together. In the good times, in the bad times, through the ups and downs, we are meant to be in God's family. So, so far we've answered that the Bible teaches that humanity's, humanity's purpose is to respond to God's magnificent love. It's also to be part of God's family. Uh, but there's, there's more. There's a couple more. Number three, God created you to become like Christ. God created you to become like Christ. You know, I think we all have the sense that there's, there's some type of ideal person that we want to be like. Uh, no matter your religious background or where you come from, most people have a sense that there's, there's certain qualities, there's certain uh, characteristics that are desirable that we want to emulate. And we usually grow up wanting to be like somebody else, right? You know, for some of you, maybe it's, uh, it's mom and dad. You want to be like mom and dad. And some of you, you're lamenting that you're finally becoming like your mom and dad. Uh, but, but we all have this, this role model uh, that, we, that we live up to. Um, for me, growing up, I wanted to be like Mike. Michael Jordan, that is. I wanted to be like Mike. He was my childhood hero. I had his poster up in my room. I'd practice his crossover. I'd practice his famous move where he, where he goes up to the hoop and then switches at the last second and gets the layup with the left hand. I'd practice his fadeaway. I would sometimes count down five, four, three, two, one, and I'd make it for the game winner, and it was great. And then I grew up to be five foot nine. <laughs> and uh, didn't work out for me very well. But I wanted to be like Mike. I had this, I had this role model in my life, and I, I think we all have this sense of there's, there's a certain person that I want to be like. Um, I think in all, we all have this. It's almost as if we're, we're, we're handed different scripts, if you will. Like we're, we're kind of like in a play, and, we're, and you're handed a script, and here is your part. If, if, if you want to be a successful businessman, well, well, here's what you need to do. You need to dress like this. You need to talk like this. You need to make these connections. Uh, if you want to be a mother in our, our culture, well, here's what you need to be like and dress like and do. And you're, you're handed a script, a model of who you should be. Uh, and that is also a recipe for unhappiness because there is only one model that is life-producing and freedom-giving. And that is the model that Jesus set for us in Scripture. Uh, and I believe the example that he gives us will produce more joy and freedom in your life than any other. Uh, the Scripture teaches us that we were created in God's image. We were meant to reflect God's character, God's ways, God's, God's heart to the world. And Jesus, the Bible teaches, he is the perfect image of God. He is the perfect image. He is the model of the image of God. And that we're to reflect our lives on what Jesus taught and lived. And if you aren't familiar, or you need a reminder, let me remind you of a few things. Jesus taught us to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, the people who are hardest, the people who despise you. You're, we're meant to love them. And he, and he lived this out by dying on the cross for the very people who were putting him to death. 
He loved all the way until the end. You know, Jesus, he taught that we should be last, that we should serve others, and that we should care for the poor. And he lived this out in his ministry. He was always there for the outcasts, those who were downtrodden, those who needed a hand to, be, to lift them up out of the ways that society puts them down. He made sure to do good deeds and do justice and to love mercy. And he sets for us an example as well. In essence, Jesus is the prime example of God's self-giving love to us. And that is the model for us. And you will find your purpose in your life when you begin to emulate your life around Jesus. And I believe even if for people who aren't religious, if you're not religious, you're exploring Jesus, even if you unintentionally or intentionally do some of the things that Jesus taught and did, you will find more meaning and fulfillment. That's not to say I'm encouraging you to do that, but I think it'll show you that what Jesus taught is true and that he is who he said he, who he, said he was, what he taught, that he is true. Now, for Christians, our task is to become like Jesus as much as possible. This verse, I, I, I've glanced over it a million times, but when you really think about it, it is staggering. Look what 1 John 2, 6 says. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Must live as Jesus did. Does anybody here claim to be a Christian? Anybody? <laughs> a few of you, maybe. Do you claim to be in Christ? Do you claim to be a follower of Christ? Then you must live as Jesus did. Thank God that we have his Holy Spirit to help us. Amen? But our lives should grow in increasing likeness to who Jesus was and to what he taught and to what he did. And uh, for many of you, you're, maybe you've had some hang-ups about God because you've met so many Christians who aren't very much like Christ. And I'm genuinely sorry about that. And uh, my encouragement to you would, would, be to, would be to say that we need to do better. The church needs to get better. Followers of Jesus need to do better. We need to be more like Christ. And the second thing I would say is we're all here, or most of us are here, because we know we're screwed up. We know that we've messed up. We've messed it up so bad that God had to come and die on the cross to forgive us of our sins so that we might be forgiven and have new life. There's no perfect people here in the church. And we're, 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 we confess that, we acknowledge that, and we need God's grace, and we invite other people to experience his grace and his love as well. So we know who we are. We're loved by God. We're made for his magnificent love. We're formed for God's family. We're created to become like Christ. And here's your last one, number four. God built you for building his kingdom. God built you for building his kingdom. When God made Adam and Eve in the garden, he gave them work to do. You know, I think we all want meaningful work. We want to do something that matters with our lives. Um, and God, when God gave them work, he, he said, Over, oversee my creation. Rule over all the things in my creation. In fact, basically, in paraphrase, do what I would do in, your, in, in my stead. Go rule on my behalf. And this is what we are meant to do as well. I think we all desire to do something that lasts. And the only guaranteed way to do that is to do something that will outlast life itself. And the only thing that outlasts life itself is the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom will never end. It will go on forever. And so we need to, if, we want, if you want to do something that, that matters, that will outlast you, you need to be doing what God is doing in the world. Well, how God is changing the world. We are to do what the Lord's prayer prays. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth right here as it is in heaven. Christians are to do what we pray every week. We are to bring God's kingdom here in greater and greater measure. 
So we're to do good deeds of, of great love, of kindness, of justice, of mercy. We're to serve others. We're to, we're to do as Jesus would do if he were us. You know, that the whole WWJD concept, it's not too bad. What would Jesus do if he were in your shoes, in your situations, in your workplace, in your household, in your life? What would he do? You know, the early covenant people, the ancestors of our denomination, they said it this way. We live for God's glory and neighbor's good. We live for God's glory and neighbor's good. Some of you remember hearing this. Can you give me a nod? You've heard this before, a few of you. We live for God's glory and neighbor's good. We're to do what glorifies God and brings him honor, brings Jesus honor, and we're to do that which is good for our neighbor, to bring them love and help and service and to do whatever we can to show them the kindness of God. So we're to give to charity. We're to cook meals. We're to invite people into our homes. We're to do acts of kindness. We're to do acts of justice. And we're to spread God's love and kindness everywhere we go. You know, I think many people worry that if they do this, if they devote their lives to this, that, that they're somehow going to miss out on some other purpose or some other pleasure or, or miss out on life somehow. Uh, but I think that that's actually very misguided. Uh, look what Jesus taught us in Matthew 10, 39. He says, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. You see, your true purpose in life, true joy, true fulfillment, true contentment, true peace, it's found in giving your life over to Jesus Christ. And maybe you haven't done that yet and you're exploring that. I encourage you to keep exploring, keep asking. So let me recap. We're made for magnificent love. We are formed for God's family. We are created to become like Christ. We're built for God's kingdom. So this means that we know our identity. We know who we are. We're made for God's love. We know who we belong to. That's our community. We know what kind of person we should be. That's our character. And we know what we should do. That's our calling. That's our vocation. Isn't that good news? That we don't have to guess. That we know what God expects and wants from us. And that when you do these things, you will find joy and meaning in your life. Here's a couple questions for you to think about this week. What can I do to respond to God's magnificent love? Is there a way that you could respond to that this week? Maybe you need to keep exploring. Second question is, how can you treat other Christians like members of your own family? How can you become more and more part of God's family and, and traveling on that bus and not the unicycle? Can you do something in 2019 to be more connected to this community? You know, we're striving for a renewed community, and that's something we're asking everyone to do. Or if you're not connected to a church, maybe you want to explore belonging to a church. You're not ready to believe yet, but you, know, you recognize the validity and the value of being in a community. And maybe we invite you to consider making Faith Covenant your church home. The third thing is, what's one thing can I pursue this year to become more like Christ? Maybe even now the Holy Spirit has already highlighted an area for you to work on. There's a character trait that you need to develop. Maybe it's kindness, maybe it's generosity, maybe it's any of the fruits of the Spirit. Is there one thing that you can do this year to become more like Jesus? And finally, what can you do this year to help build God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Is there anything God is calling you to do? to partner with him, to live for God's glory and neighbor's good as we build God's kingdom here. And I believe if we live this way, you will find what you were created to do, your purpose in life. Would you pray with me this morning?